Hello and welcome to Mark Decano's Comedy in a Nutshell, or what some of the cool kids are calling Mudkian. I'm not Richard Herring, and in each episode of this podcast, I talk to a Ducks comedian about their experience in comedy, their trials and tribulations, and of course, where they get their crazy ideas from. My guest this episode is described by funny women as one to watch. She's been called a rising star by Ox in the Box. Nottingham Comedy Review called her a very promising act. She was described as gently incisive by the Bath Echo. And Mumble described her as a natural MC. I would describe her as stand-up comedian Chelsea Birkby. Hi. Hello. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. I like your background. I was about to say the same. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for doing this. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I'm ready. Okay, so tell me, first of all, how how did you get into comedy? How did you make your start? What inspired you? It's a strange, a strange story. It might be a unique origin story. I used to hate stand-up. I thought stand-up was the worst. I thought it was like, I don't know, just the basest, like kind of like lowest common denominator stuff. But it turned out I'd only seen some really bad stand-up. And then when I was at <laughs> university, some friends were like, no, I promise you it's really good. And they showed me some Stuart Lee and some Simon Amstel. And then I was mm-hmm. like, oh, you're right. And I fell in love. And then it became my favourite thing. Um, and then the way I, I never thought I wanted to do it, though, I'd always been... I'd always done a lot of writing, which I thought was funny, but mm. it never occurred to me to do stand-up. And then one day I just was like, wait, that's what I want to do. And so I made it my New Year's resolution and then had my mm-hmm. first gig on April Fool's Day. April Fool's Day. Good start. When was that? That was 2018. Okay. Yeah. And was that local to you? Yeah, it was an Oxford gig, Oxford which is where I live. Um, Jericho Comedy, which is still my favourite club to play. Yeah. And such a gift of a first gig. It was actually two, like they were running two gigs the same night. So I doubled mm-hmm. my first gig. I, I was worried it was going to be a practical joke. They were like, do you want a gig? And I was like, yes, please. And they were like, do you want two? And I was like, is this bullying? Are you winding me up? Is this <laughs> prank? But I did it. And the first one, the first of the two, I was supposed to have 10 minutes, which is a very generous amount of time for a new act. Yeah. Um, and I'd written definitely 10 minutes. But then by the time I was on my bike cycling to the next gig, only six minutes had passed. So I don't know what I did. <laughs> I have no idea. Were you anxious about that first foray? Yeah, really anxious. Really yeah. anxious. And I must have, I guess I just raced through it because I think I did all the material. So I must either not have paused for laughter or that there was no need to. Um, <laughs> I don't know. It's, I truly have no memories from being on stage at that time. I remember before, yeah. I remember cycling away, but nothing of that, I guess, five minutes. You sort of, you caught the bug there and then. So how was, long was it before you got your next ski? Then I started going to open mics and stuff like that. Yeah, I did catch the bug. Yeah. I remember when I was back home that evening, I was like, okay, I don't think I did a very good job, but even knowing I didn't, well, I wasn't great at it, I was like, I really want to be. I want to keep doing this. I think that's a good sign. Yeah. <laughs> did you do any courses or anything? A lot of comedians I've spoken to have, have done a course. I didn't do one before I did stand-up. I think that's how a lot of people get the confidence to do it. You know, you go to like an eight-week course and then there's a showcase at the end. Yeah. But I... I no, I didn't do that. Um, but I was I was supported because the Oxford com- comedy community is really nice. And um, so I kind of went to some writing sessions before. Like I had a set idea, like an idea mm-hmm. from what my set would be and spoke it through yeah. with people. So that gave me a boost. And I've since done courses. Um, right. Like I went, to, well, I did a clown course, which I never in a million years thought I would have done. Uh, <laughs> and I loved it. And I've done, yeah, kind of courses, yeah, courses like that. I know some people, I think they're a good thing that people do them before they start stand up, like even how to get the mic out of the stand, like people make fun of it, like the courses are stupid because they teach you stuff like this. 
I think that's yeah. a really valuable skill because if you fuck up getting the mic out of the stand, people lose faith in you immediately. <laughs> it's really hard to win it back from that. Yeah, I know what you mean. I saw, I think it was Russell Howard. It might have been on Mock the Week, actually, which I know you've written for. And he asked, can I take the mic out of the stand? And he just sort of whipped it out in a quick movement. And he's like, slick. I was like, yeah, okay, he knows what he's doing. <laughs> so, yeah, I understand what you're saying about the confidence in the performance. Yeah, you just feel that person's assured if they can just quickly take it out or, yeah, or even slowly. It's not about the speed, just the skill of it. I've seen yeah. someone pull it out and pull it straight into their head, like, <laughs> the head. and it obviously, that's it's through a mic, you can hear it. Oh, it's so yeah. awful. Um, I panic that I think the second I look away from an audience, everyone's going to go off me. So some people walk the mic stand really far away so they have space to perform, but I just as quick as I can put it behind me. It's so, it's so desperate it's like please please like me <laughs> so you're not like I've seen performers they use the the mic almost as a crutch or it's even just to hold on to like to stand yeah. or to stand behind but uh I suppose it takes so a certain amount of confidence to be able to put the mic stand especially immediately behind you where you could easily fall over it yep that's true I know I decided one day I was like I'm going to be one of the comics that leans on the mic like I think that's going to look really cool but there was a photographer I happened to be in that night. So I've seen the pictures and it didn't look cool. It looked more like I was holding onto it for support. It's, it's not my thing. <laughs> I think I just need to have it out of the way. <laughs> so once you'd made your start in comedy, and I know you said that you weren't into stand-up to start with, what were the earliest influences upon you? I know you mentioned already um, Stuart Lee and Simon Amstel. Did you have other performers that influenced the, the style, the way you projected yourself on stage? When I started stand-up, I... I was trying to figure out what I wanted my act to be. I was like, what am I going to be like? And I wanted it to be Simon Amstor plus Lena Dunham plus Mr. Blobby. I thought that would be, that would be a good combo. <laughs> and um, the other day I was told somebody that and they were like, do you know what? I see it. I'm not sure if they were, if they meant it or not. Do you see it? I know that you talk about Mr. Blobby, but I don't see that in your show. <laughs> <laughs> Lena Dunham maybe, yeah, but yeah. <laughs> it's an interesting combination, certainly. That's, that's what I'm going for. The, yeah but then I think people find I mean people always say this about comedy but you find your voice as you do as well you can't you might set out to be like I'm going to be this type of comic but yeah. that's not necessarily what people laugh at when you do it on stage yeah and over time people end up being I think over time people end up being way more like themselves off stage they kind of end up converging even if they started off different yeah that's interesting because I've asked that and I, I want to ask a similar thing to you do you find that um when you step onto the stage that you I know you just said that you're you're more become more like your offstage character, but do you did you find when you started out that you you had a differentiation between the the onstage persona and the offstage persona? Yeah, I think mine went worlds apart. Like some people might be really bubbly offstage and then they go for a deadpan, right? Like onstage persona. Yeah, and I think some of the reason they do that is to like protect themselves because the more effort you put into stand up or seem like you're trying trying hmm. the more like the harder it is when it doesn't go well and there's like inevitable rejection even if people are very skilled yeah mine were closer my stage persona is a bit more confused than I am in real life like a lot of my jokes are like me not understanding things when obviously to write them yeah I've had to understand that <laughs> um I don't know if that ever always picks up on it like sometimes at the end of gigs people come up to me and explain one of my jokes to me and I'll think <laughs> I know I know that because I wrote it <laughs> But to be fair, once somebody explained one of my jokes to me and there was something that I didn't understand about oh, it, wow. so it didn't really hurt. <laughs> Don't tell anyone. You had, you'd added layers you didn't know you had. Yes, yes, I'd done it intentionally <laughs> as a very gifted writer. <laughs> oh, well, let me ask you then about people approaching you and giving, let's call it, feedback. Yep. Does that happen a lot? 
Yeah, people do approach me at the end of gigs. I think, well, one, I think it happens to all comics, but I, I know I come off as quite approachable. And I used to like start sets by saying like, hello, and thanks for being my friends. So then it's understandable <laughs> that people think, oh, we're friends. She called us her friends. Um, but actually we are like strangers to each other. What have I had in particular? I, uh, I don't know. General, I forget the thing that which people always think is a compliment. That's like, I don't usually find women funny, but you're funny. Yeah. And I don't know, like, I don't really know how to take that. Yeah. I guess it's intended as a compliment. I think every female I've spoken to has said exactly that same thing. Yeah. Which surprises me that there are so many people at, <laughs> at these shows, because if they don't find women funny, why are they there? Exactly. And if every female comic gets it that means every female comic is not like other female comics in which case it probably seems that we are alike and maybe they do just find women funny yeah <laughs> that's so frustrating um I've had people tell me that that they liked my comedy because it's not very rude even when I've done stuff about sex I think sometimes people are like well she was smiling so they didn't pick up that it was <laughs> about sex and then equally I've had some people come up and say I don't know why you have to be so filthy and it can be the same material I think people just yeah. respond to things so differently I get because you know you know I joke sometimes about mental health or talk about mental health and mental yeah. illness sometimes at the end of shows people come up and either call me brave which is sweet but embarrassing <laughs> or they'll come up and share their experience with mental illness which is touching but can be really difficult like sometimes I'm not ready to like take that yeah. in is it is it difficult mm. to make a connection with the audience on particular levels when you're talking about certain topics you know, in the sense that maybe if you're talking about mental health, as you mentioned, maybe people who haven't experienced or aren't aware that they've experienced don't, might not make that connection. Yeah, I think people bring so much of, well, it's understandable, people bring their own experience to it. And so they kind of see what they like, they can only see from their own experience. Yeah. So one guy, this was really early on, I was doing a gig and I was doing some jokes about my mm -hmm. mental health and specifically my mental illness. And this one guy said, I don't find mental illness funny. And I replied, I don't find mental illness very funny, but I do find these jokes I've written about it <laughs> quite funny. And we spoke at the end and he'd kind of, he had changed yeah. his mind, um, but he was saying it's because he had, his, he had somebody in his family who was quite unwell. Right. And so I can understand that people think if it comes off as making fun of the mentally ill, that they're not going to be receptive to it. That wasn't my intention. And I, I don't, I also don't think that's what I was doing, yeah. but it, well, I think it's fair enough if people find it people are open to finding things triggering I think that's yeah that's fine yeah they probably shouldn't shout it out yeah but I learned something yeah do you get a lot of sort of heckling at your shows does that happen I yeah I have had I have had heckling I think I kind of encourage it sometimes in a playful way it's not yeah because sometimes you know what well you know I have this new kind of bit where I'm pretending that I'm well, no, I'm being, I'm very nasty. And I tell people, you already have a lovely time. And then I say, well, bad <laughs> news, because I'm a real piece of shit. And sometimes that invites people to heck, like yeah. heckle. And then I can put them in their, put them in their place. Um, similarly, it's really nice. Like what I've had a few times, and this is definitely a brag, but I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> but a few times people have been kind of chatting while I've been on stage. And I'm like, sorry, what's that you're saying? And they'll say, oh, we were just saying how great you were. Or like, oh, we were just saying she's funny, isn't she? And then... <laughs> Well, then it's nice because they then the audience knows that people think that. And then I also get to be like, well, I'm sorry, but you have no heckled, so <laughs> I need to do. Um, I kind of enjoy them. I I don't think people should should mm. heckle. Um, but my favorite thing about stand up comedy, as opposed to like other types of comedy, is that it's live, is that it's in yeah. the room. And yes, people shouldn't heckle. But at least when they happen, everybody's actually experiencing something like unique and in yeah. the moment. 
that's why my favorite stand-ups are people that like my favorite stand-ups to see live are people that seem like they're really there with you like they're present and they're in the room and you can tell one because they're looking at people or because they're responding to things that are happening I love that I think that's when stand-ups most electric Well, that's the perfect segue on to talk about lockdown then, when the audience isn't there. Lockdown. How was yeah. your uh, experience of live comedy being shut down? God, it was mis- it was miserable. Um, oh, I and I watched I watched a bunch of Zoom gigs and I did mm-hmm. some, and sometimes it just made me sad because it wasn't it just wasn't the same. It felt like just a watered down version of this thing yeah. that I love. And then sometimes I liked it when people did things that were specifically for the medium, like they'd made something computery or they'd made it interactive in a way. Like I think, is his name Chris Betts? He does Chris Betts versus yeah. the audience. He does yeah. that, yeah, he does that in real life. And then that worked really well online because it was another way of making it interactive rather than like kind of watching a YouTube mm. video, which sometimes it feels like someone doing stand up alone in their room, depressed, <laughs> most likely. Um, I did a few online gigs, only a handful. I did a like new online comedian of the year yep. competition and I tried to make it multimedia-y like um but I'm not very good at computers so it was quite lo-fi but that just added to it like every now and again my camera would just like zoom in on my eyes and be stuck there or like kind of pan across the <laughs> screen it doesn't sound very funny but it was it made it I think it at least made it something different and strange yeah. did you watch a lot of live sta- like like zoom stand I did um yeah it was an interesting experience <laughs> uh, yep. unlike anything I mean Zoom I'd never even heard of Zoom like most people I think um, so when they said mm-hmm. oh we're all going to be doing it over Zoom I don't know what we were talking about um, and then yes I did see some lo- I, well I saw a lot of Zoom shows and yeah it's nothing like being in the room though because you could feel the atmosphere in the room whereas otherwise I'm just sitting yep. but, but I did mean I could be in three different places at once so I could switch between different shows and watch three shows at the same time <laughs> yeah. is that what you did? <laughs> Yeah, well, that is a benefit. You can't do that in real life. But did you? In- <laughs> Surely, wait. So you choose the comedians you wanted to see. Like you could just curate the lineup effectively. Basically, yeah. I've made my own mixed bill <laughs> out of three mixed bills. That's yeah. pretty good. It was, you know, it's, it's it's an option. Did you would you mute when you were on Zoom so people could you know couldn't hear background noise, or would you unmute so people can hear you laugh? It, well, it depended. I think depended because um, some of them there weren't very many people on, so I would be on. Un- unmuted if it was like a, a small audience yeah so I'm, mute. I'm not I'm not known for being a loud laughing person anyway I tend to I, I don't know I, I think weirdly I kind of trained myself out of being vocal because in case I missed something <laughs> I wanted to be able to hear That's instead of me. laughing over my over the jokes you know, oh did I what did he say I was laughing so are you, you're a smiler yeah I sit at the back looking creepy and with a grin on my face yeah but it's uh yeah i I saw i saw a lot but um i think it's right right what you were saying that some people adapted very quickly to the medium and i think that's one and i've really been racking my brains to remember who it was and i'm very frustrated i can't remember the name of the comedian but i saw a show where he was basically doing uh as we are now sitting in front of the camera but he'd set the background up and it was a loop video of himself doing things around the room and I was like, that is incredible because while he's while he's talking, he comes in and goes in the cupboard and then he comes in and then he does it again. That's really good. Oh, if you remember who it is, let me know. I will. I'm really trying to rack my brains. I'm sure I know someone who will remember who it is. For the benefit of a listening audience, I can advise that the acting question was Stuart Laws performing Single Father of None at the Leicester Comedy Festival, which was entirely online in 2021. 
the show received a nomination for best show. And yes, I did let Chelsea know. People did get inventive. That was a fun part of it. And some of them really took off, like um, like Chops Comedy. It's the Stu Goldsmith and David Hall yeah. gig that was in Bristol, but it mm. was online. And they'd made a real community or even kind of cult around it. Like everybody knew each other and it was regulars. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I did that one and it was, it was nice. Um, I guess some people like thrived at it, making it its yeah. own thing. When you... So you watch you watch a lot of comedy, don't you? It's, yeah, you yeah. Love it. I've got. A, yeah. I usually have yeah. a schedule, basically a show every night. Um, some nights I have four or five shows, and I don't pick which one I'm going to until the last second. And sometimes I'm oh. just too tired to go to any of them. But but basically, yeah, I've got, basically I've got an option for something every night. Yeah, I've seen about seven hundred, seven hundred fifty comedians. Wow. Over about one and a half thousand shows. Do you have a spreadsheet? I have a spreadsheet. Yeah. You have a spreadsheet. <laughs> Uh, it goes back to about 1977. Really? When I saw Basil Brush. <laughs> that was your first live stand-up experience. I think it was little and large, I think. Huh. But I'm thinking somewhere about 77, 79, I saw a few gigs, but I was so young, I don't remember. I don't have ticket stubs or anything. But I saw Basil Brush, I think, 77 or 79. And then I saw him again in 2019 at the Edinburgh Fringe. So I saw the same act 40 years apart. That's amazing. <laughs> well, the same what? puppet, I should say. No, so, yeah. <laughs> what... Um other data points do you have in there do you like rank people do you put no notes? i wouldn't no. do that no because it's uh they're too different i can't compare two different acts because of the nature of the the, the different i just record where where and when i saw them that's all yeah that's very sweet and so you see all like levels of stand-up as well like you'll see kind of people just starting out like more amateur stand-up up until like yeah. the most famous yeah i, I usually favor new acts yeah i go to a lot of free shows free fringe uh, free festival at the Edinburgh uh, Edinburgh Fringe um, I, and I, I was saying to someone else and I don't know if this rings true but I like the theory that um, free shows seem to be better than some of the bigger paid shows and I don't know if that's because the, the, the paid shows they've had the money you know they're not as invested necessarily I'm not saying that's mm -hmm. true but I think that maybe maybe free shows starting out people are working little bit harder because they're trying to provide the better service if you like that's interesting i think there is i think there, there can be a difference and sometimes free shows it's people who are like investing investing their own money yeah and they because of that they also don't have other people's like more senior to them telling them what they like kind of should and shouldn't do yeah i don't know i don't know that much about like so but that means they get to just follow exactly what they want to do like they kind of get to do it on their own terms and yeah. i think that can lead to a lot of creativity yeah um i like the risk of seeing shows on the free fringe because sometimes that's how i've seen some of my favorite things ever and like then follow the acts for yeah. as long as they do it and then sometimes you can see stuff that kind of actually isn't ready um but i love seeing that too i was talking to some comics the other day and they are like much further ahead than me. And they said they never go to open mic comedy. They think it's just hell. Yeah. And I personally love seeing it. And yes, yeah, some of it is bad. Of course, that's the whole point of open mic comedy. Everyone gets, you're allowed to be. Yeah. Um, but I think it's so fascinating to see what people do before they know what they're like supposed to do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I love it. And it only takes one moment, just that one joke, just a one-liner, a throwaway one-liner could be the funniest yeah. thing that someone's ever heard, even if the rest of your five minutes is just dross. That, that exactly. moment could get you, you know, that could be on the top 10 best jokes of the fringe for all you know. Yeah. So it's, I think it's worth taking those kinds of risks for sure. And some of the shows I see, I'll go just based on the title alone, especially if it's like sort of a wacky 
ridiculously long title as they're always like fun them. yeah that's that's really interesting because I never know because like this year I've noticed that a lot of the fringe shows have kind of very arty one word names yes um, and they'll be they're not funny at all like the shows obviously will be and the acts are very talented but the, the show's title even the poster are so serious yeah but I'm also drawn to the really funny ones I was flicking through the who's on at my venue at Just the Tonic yeah and I think Davina Bentley's show is called Never Again 2 yeah that's so good <laughs> yeah exactly if the name makes me laugh then I'm like okay great that's what I want to see um my yeah. favorite one from this year is you know I'm a big fan of Jamie D'Souza we did a split bill together but have yeah. you seen the name of his show I have but I've, I can't remember it it's um that I'm well I'm glad because then I get to say it <laughs> it's uh stop, it's stop drawing willies on my poster yes. and he's like got a picture where it's just I'm not going to say asking for it I feel like that's not an okay thing to say <laughs> um but yeah so good I think if the name makes you laugh and if it fits how that person is funny then that's just spot on yeah yeah I, I like that especially if you don't know the name of the comic yeah that the one chance they've got to lead you in is that is that line that title and then if it gets you to read the description then they're already one foot in the door I think yeah so it's it's difficult and I've seen a lot of people I've never heard of like that and some of the free shows like that I've gone on based on the title of the show have been some of the best shows I've seen at the at the fringe so you know I'm just saying it's worth taking a chance Mm. so we've talked about feedback in a show in the form of heckling how about feedback in the form of reviews um in the form of awards competitions you mentioned the new online comedian how do you respond to reviews and how do you feel about taking part in competitions i think that hell is other people (laughs) it's it's horrible like um when i do well in when i get a nice review Mm. it it's it doesn't even make me feel that good. Like if I get a nice review, I think, phew, like what a relief. And yeah. I feel like maybe there's something useful I can get out of it because, you know, if somebody gives you a nice amount of stars or if they give you a quote that says, Chelsea's hilarious, then you're like, great, I can put that on my poster and hopefully more people then will take a punt on coming to see me. Hmm. Um, but I never feel like, yes, this is just what I wanted. Same with going through competitions. I think that's somewhat balanced because a bad review, well, no, it's not balanced because bad reviews just sting so much I feel like there's we're supposed to pretend that oh like yeah they hurt but it's not a big deal but I find it so devastating like mm. after I did in my first year of stand-up I did so you think you're funny which is what you'll know but for people like it's the competition for people who've been going a year or less yeah and so loads of big names have gone through it and I was very like fortunate and happy to be in the final mm-hmm. but I truly was a brand new act like didn't really have much experience and the the heat and the semi-final I did so well like the semi-final in particular I felt like I just like took the roof off <laughs> then with that exact same set in the final yeah. I died so hard like with the exact same material just nothing worked like I don't think there's mm. a single laugh and that's a big room with everybody in the comedy industry in it and my friends had come to watch me and I couldn't even hear them laughing and I asked them at the end I was like why did you not laugh and they were like truly Chelsea it would have been worse if we did it would have been so obvious oh <laughs> like God. it would have stood out too much it was so bad um and that obviously felt awful but I also found it quite funny and interesting because it's like this all worked before yeah I don't know what changed um and then I got over it like kind of found it a bit awful but mostly funny and went to the so you think you're funny after party and had a good evening and then the next day I woke up really hungover and there was a review out from there was a chortle review and a beyond the joke review from Bruce Dessau mm. and they were both 
Well, I was going to say brutal, but I suppose what made it brutal was that it was accurate. They just, you know, had said that it really didn't go well for me. Yeah. Um, I think the most savage line, I think it was in, but Steve Bennett said something like, um, that it was something about how the audience didn't find it funny, but I did. Um, and I kept <laughs> laughing. And now I've come to find that very funny also because the competition is called So You Think You're Funny. Yeah. And on that basis, I was the clear winner. I found myself very funny. It just wasn't shared. That's it. The amusement was not widely shared. Um, but it really did sting and it felt it felt humiliating because it yeah. felt like I'd just done a year's internship in the business I wanted to be in. And then at the end of it, someone's published my like performance review online to everybody that works yeah. in the industry saying that I suck. And it really knocked me and it's like it's continued to not that review in particular. Now I do find that funny, but <laughs> getting a bad review just really stings partly because I think one, it's not fair. Like it's just one person's opinion yeah. and it stings when some nights I've had gigs that have gone well for me. And then I get a review that's not very pleasant about me. And I'll think, ah, but you could have asked someone else in the room and they would have told you it was great. Yeah. And it's that struggle between, you know, it's subjective, mm. but it still stings. And I don't know, I haven't, I haven't got to the bottom of it. It's something I'm worrying about for this year's Edinburgh, like my first solo show. Yeah. I know yeah. there's going to be, there's going to be bad reviews. Hopefully there'll be some good ones, but it's just figure like remembering that, that I'm not doing it just to get compliments from specific people. I'm doing it because I want to make something fun that I love and that, that generally people enjoy, but maybe not everyone has to. Yeah. My, um, yeah. I spoke to my therapist about this and he said he recommended I, um, do like a bingo card of of what of like bad reviews like things they're going to say and I can see when I get a full house he said it would be like public humiliation insurance like so maybe I'll do that oh. that's quite a nice idea but I don't, I don't know how it I don't know how it feels to be looking out for <laughs> bad, bad uh, terminology bad phrases but I think a lot of acts I don't think I'd be alone in that that predicting the yeah. kind of bad reviews I'm going to get like uh or or probably predicting the compliments as well. Like, yeah. I feel like I know what people say about me or how people react to me. Like, one is that I often get called quite posh, which is, is well, it's not really true. Um, so it's funny that people get that response to me. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> even sometimes nice reviews have very strange things. Like, my hair gets mentioned more than I would expect because I don't use my hair in a comedic way. It just yeah. it just comes out of my head. <laughs> as hair often does i don't think it's adding yeah. to the act yeah that's that's interesting yeah because that's one of the things that sarah kendall was saying recently about her appearance on taskmaster the most she sees on twitter or, or wherever is about her hair it's like I'm, but of all those amazing things she was doing and saying and you're worried yeah. about a barnet i mean what's going so on? frustrating um do you read reviews well sometimes i don't honestly i don't have any investment in them so it's not it's not pertinent yeah. to me but and and like I say I plan things ages and I plan my Edinburgh Fringe the minute anyone starts announcing acts so as early as January so yeah and it just changes and changes and changes but that's based on availability when I can get how fast I can get from one venue to the next not about what anyone said about the show yeah. not about what other, so you wouldn't be swayed by a review if you saw one that was particularly negative for a show you wanted to see you wouldn't be like oh, I'll strike it off the list no because I mean, yeah. like you said, uh, basically it's 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 one person's opinion on one night. Yeah. The same material from one night to the next might be perceived, you know, completely differently. And if a room full of people can see it differently, then then one individual certainly uh, why would their yes. opinion count any more than anyone else's? It's That's my opinion nice. that counts. So. Yes, yeah, your opinion exactly. <laughs> um, so, yeah. I have seen as well. Like I do know it's absurd. Somebody 
I was talking to them about reviews, like somebody, you know, who's been years in the game. And they said, like, as proof that it's a nonsense, they were like, they had two reviewers in for the same night of the same show. And one mm. gave it like five stars and said it was incredible. And the other one gave it two stars and said it yeah. was terrible. And it's like, yeah, there, there you go. There's two people in the same room, the same night, seeing the same yeah. show. And they have these different, different views. I think last year, um, somebody I know was reviewed by the same paper twice and they got five stars and three stars. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I might have mentioned this on the podcast before, but I saw I was at the Greenwich Comedy Festival in 2019, I think. I can't remember. I'll have to look at the spreadsheet. But it's um, I was at the Greenwich Festival and Tim Key was performing. It's a, a, the, the Greenwich Festival is basically it's a big tent by the mm. National Maritime Museum and they have mixed bills a couple of times a day over two or three days. And one of those mixed bills, uh, Tim Key was on. Um, and I was sat in this massive tent full of people laughing. I was I was howling. It was hilarious. And there were two uh, women who were together and they were sat immediately next to me and they with a look of utter bewilderment on their face. Um, and one of them asked me, is this, you think this is funny? I'm like, uh, me and uh, a couple of thousand other people, yeah, it's funny. It's, like, it's all right. It doesn't matter. If you don't, if it's not for you, there's another comic along in a minute. Yeah. Com comedy is subjective. So they just didn't get it at all. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, they weren't they weren't there for him. They were there for one of the other comics, so, uh, which yeah. is fine. And again, like, yeah, exactly. It's a perfect example that one one comedy is might be fine for one person, but not for another. Mm -hmm. One reviewer might see it in the same room and the same night, see it differently. So it's just handy, though. It's handy if the person with the website. And the pen and paper likes you. Yeah, and I, I get that um, a lot of people might say, "Oh, well, let's go and see all the five star shows." And, well, you know, yeah, but they're only they're five star shows because everyone who publishes a, an article has been to see those shows. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean they're not all the five star shows because the, yeah. there could be five star shows playing at the Three Sisters or in the Mash House or something. Exactly. I think it will be. I'm curious about like how this Edinburgh Fringe will be for me. And I think kind of like I was saying about my first gig, I'm pretty confident I'm going to have a, a nice time, even if it's like a big flop, even if it gets like that, you know, and why would it? But maybe it will. And I think that's a good thing. If you love it and you like what you're doing and enough people respond to it and enjoy it, then yeah. that's that's a good thing. That's what it's about. But we'll yeah. see. We'll see. I think if when people like people in any kind of showbiz, I guess there's so much rejection and um, critique that you can get from it. Mm. And I think if people can truly become resilient to that and enjoy what they're doing regardless, then that's a good place to be. So I wonder yeah. if I'll find myself in that place or I wonder if I'll find myself getting upset and uh, I guess that's allowed to. Yeah. But you've done Edinburgh before. Like you said, you did the split show with Jamie D'Souza. I know this is your debut hour. Is How does that ramp up the, the stakes for you? How different is it to go into this, uh, this Edinburgh this year? So it feels quite different. I think people put a lot of... Um, what's the word I'm looking for but anyway people are like whoa it's a big deal when you do your debut hour like um and this year's a particularly strange one for it because of covid there's been loads loads of people are debuting this year because everybody's been delayed that we're going to do it in 2020 or 2021 and then we're not sure whether the fringe will be on uh, doing it yeah. this year so I think someone told me there's usually about 80 debuts across the fringe but now that this year there's like 150 or something so <laughs> I think this fringe is going to be like a debutante ball in a way, I think that completely takes the pressure off because so many people are doing it. It's not like it's not as big of a deal. Hmm. And I think it's strange that it would be a big deal anyway, because why would anybody's first show be their be their best one? Um, yeah. I would hope that shows get better and better. I heard Andy Field talk about it in a podcast once and he was like, he did the fringe before he was ready. 
And he was like, well, that's great because I learned so much. And then the next show I did was, was much better. Um, yeah. So, so I think it's easy in the industry to think it's this big deal and it's completely different from doing a split bill with a friend. But actually, I don't think there is that much difference in it. It's still just going up to the fringe for a month to mess around and to see some amazing stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But this time, um, you, you don't have uh, anyone to lean on. You're not sharing the bill with somebody else and you're doing twice as much, a full hour, not a half an hour. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a anxiety levels ramped up by that. Is it a daunting prospect to go to a, your first full hour show? I, I don't think it is. I think it's just as daunting as performing like performing half an hour, performing an hour. I think it's the performance bit that could be that could be anxiety inducing, not necessarily the length of it. Yeah. And to like to my surprise, it actually has been uh, I feel a bit less anxious because over more time you have more time to kind of win people back of you or to lose them or to kind of explain explain yourself or you you get more opportunities and people I don't think people expect an hour to be like a gag every second in the same way like you can let some things breathe. Yeah. Um, which which is the part of um, now like previewing the show is the part I found hardest because I'm used to making people laugh on stage. Um, yeah. But now yeah. I'm trying to do the, the like, you know, have the more serious bits. And I find it so uncomfortable because to be on stage holding a microphone um, with something that's billed as comedy, even to have. And I think people don't mind at all, but even to have a minute or two that is joke free yeah. um, because you're making a point which adds a huge amount of value to the show and some things don't have to be funny. It just feels so, so different from me. Yeah. I, And somebody said that to me after a preview. They were like, I think you should do that part without a joke. Or if you could do that part without smiling, it would be better. And I see what they mean because some things don't have to be funny. And mm. it doesn't make the show not funny. It can still be an hour of comedy. Yeah. Uh, but it just feels so different. It's a different relationship to going up and just getting laughs. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, would you say that you've seized that opportunity to put in the message that is important, is it, that you're you're passionate about or did you feel that it was a Edinburgh trope that you had to have a moment of tragedy in there somewhere um I feel that it was like natural it feels a relevant part of the story like you know the show is called no more Mr Nice Chelsea and mm-hmm. it's mostly like jokes 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 um but then I felt like one part of the story was missing is like what is it to be nice and when is it time to stop and kind of in telling the story of when it's time to stop mm. it naturally can get a bit heavier um but then cynically it's also like that seems to happen at the like, you know, at the 40 minute mark, which is when people are like, oh, here's the heavy bit. <laughs> but maybe it always crops up at that point just because that's naturally how in storytelling, like where it would go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Do you ever watch shows and feel like, oh, here we go. Here's the heavy bit. Like this has been cynically kind of added in. <laughs> uh, it depends on the show. I mean, yeah. most if it's a good show, mm-hmm. like you said, it's just it reaches that point naturally. Yeah. Um, it's rare, I would say, that it feels like it's been forced in. Yeah. But I'm sure if I saw it as a work in progress three, four months before, it might have felt that way. Yes. It can have this gear change where it's like, yeah. gags, gags, gags. And then, mm, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know yourself, the way you start out with a work in progress, by the time it gets to Edinburgh, it's a completely different show. Yeah. Um, I Sometimes I go and see the same show, work in progress, three or four times over the course of the year. And uh, just to see how it changes and develops. I love, I love seeing a work in progress, like an early one, and then yeah. seeing the final show, and then being like, you can see some of the tangents that are the same, but you can see like, yeah, so so much that has changed. Oh, yeah, I love it. Um, I saw one actually. I won't name who it is, but I saw somebody do a preview a few years ago in like July, mm-hmm. and it was just not ready. I was like, oh, this is this is really this. They've got some work to do. Yeah, but then they must have just done it because the show was fantastic, and like, I think 
award nominated. But yeah, some people, I think people that take most risks with work in progress shows that if they're like, okay, I'm truly going to be open to some of this not working so Mm. that they can learn from it. Are probably the people that end up with a better show because they have taken those risks. Yeah. Yeah. Now, something that I've been trying to talk about a a bit more is um, about the way the comedy industry is changing. And one of the things I want to pick up with you, and we have touched on it very slightly before, talking about hair, is the the way that uh, women are perceived in comedy within and without the industry. And I know that you, I want to talk also about your Bristol night that you do. Um, But uh, how do you see, how do you think the the landscape has changed um, in recent years, particularly with comedy having been shut out effectively for such a long time? Yeah. So the first, okay, first of all, the like the kind of the female question. Yeah. I think that when I, when I started out, so like four years ago, um, everything I'd listened to in like comedy podcasts, everything that I kind of learned about the industry as an outsider Mm. was saying that, you know, it is a hard place to be, it's a hard place to be a woman because there would often be, I wonder if this came more from like an American culture um but they were like you have the chick spot and there would be one woman on the bill um and that would be like difficult because then the 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 female comic is representing all women you know people if they're funny women are funny and if someone doesn't like them they're like oh women aren't funny um and also then you wouldn't really meet women in comedy because you'd always be the only woman on the bill yeah and I can see definitely like some hangover from that and um when I started out I found that I'd usually be I, I feel like it's mostly the open spot who ends up being the woman. So it's the person that's doing the trial spot that isn't being paid. Yeah. Um, it also means they're the most junior person on the bill. So that heightens that thing again, if it's like, if the audience are like, well, they were the worst one. And it's yeah. like, yes, they're the worst one, not because they're a woman, but because they're the newest. Yes. Um, that I have found very frustrating and it kind of fits my experience of it. And mm. sometimes now there's a pressure of making sure there's at least one woman on the bill. And I think sometimes that can then fall to people kind of ticking like, yeah, technically I've got a woman on and it's because they put a woman in the, the baby spot, you know, in the, yeah. the free spot. And I think, is that really supporting w- women? Mm. But I've also, I think you are given a, a boost sometimes because people know that they we want more women in comedy. We want more female led nights, female voices. Mm. And so I know that sometimes I've, been given opportunities specifically because I'm a woman um and that I don't know I have mixed feelings about that because I sometimes bookers will send me a message and they're like oh we've had someone drop out we need a woman on we do it and I feel yeah. like I want to be invited as a comic not just as yeah not just as a woman so that is I, I don't know if that's the right call or not because I think there should be a woman on and I'm glad that it might be me but I wanted to be invited because I was funny first and foremost yeah um so it's difficult um but on the whole like I I also feel that there's a, an environment that really supports women in comedy, like loads of uh, female acts are really supportive of each other on the whole. Sometimes people are like, is there tension between them? Is there competition? Yeah, there can be. And I think that's heightened when there are literal competitions. Yeah. Um, like, say, Funny Women. I know Funny Women is an organisation that's there to support women. And yeah. I like, appreciate that. And I think they've done a lot for women in comedy. Equally, and this is an unfortunate consequence of it, part of the way they do that is by having a new act competition but then that's just me meeting other women specifically as competition um and you know (laughs) people get very insecure around competitions and a bit tense um yeah but on the whole yeah I found women in comedy so so supportive and some of my like best comedy opportunities have come from women and um there was one act at a gig when I was like maybe been going for a year and she was like oh pass me your phone and she opened up a notes app and she just put a bunch of like 
bookers in there and people to message and she was like you know mention me and you get on these gigs yeah. I think that's so beautiful yeah. like really great and a trend I've noticed recently is around we were talking about hair but mm-hmm. talking about women in comedy kind of being dressed up I think for a long time maybe maybe in the 90s mm-hmm. that it was female comics would dress really casually on a gig and it would be uh which isn't my like I think I think it's very cool but it's not my personal style and now recently with like Kat Cohen um and like Mary Beth Barone they're mm-hmm. very glamorous acts and they get really dressed up mm-hmm. and I think maybe that's only recently welcome because otherwise people would have thought oh they're just kind of I don't know they're just like somehow being dressed up would take away from them being like true comics or them being artists but now there's a space for it where it's very celebrated and I personally love that because one of my favorite things about stand-up is being able to get dressed up having an excuse to buy a ridiculous dress or wear (laughs) a load of makeup so I don't know if that's feminist or not that you've asked me about women in comedy and I'm like I love it because I get to get dressed up but that's how I feel (laughs) well feminism is being able to do whatever we want isn't it yeah I think so about making your own choices so I think if that's what you want to do fine yes I heard Felicity Ward on a podcast once say that she would always wear heels because she was told you get less laughs like fewer laughs if you wear heels because it makes kind of women jealous or you know she was told this that wasn't her view and she thought that's bullshit I'm going to wear heels like and I'm going to be funny anyway and of course she was and then she said still one day she forgot and she had her trainers and she was like actually it is much more comfortable in trainers so stuck (laughs) that way but I think it's a really good point that like, yeah, you can get, you know, people can laugh at you as a woman and your jokes, whether you're really glam, really dressed up or not. Yeah. And I think it's a lie when people try and tell you, no, you're not supposed to be dressed up on stage or, or that you should be dressed up on stage. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's bizarre because I've never heard of a man being judged on their comedy by their footwear or their hair. Yeah, exactly. So I don't, you know, I don't understand it, but it's, it's interesting that those kinds of, thoughts that decision making process goes so through someone's head with a guy it's either jeans and t-shirt or a suit isn't yeah it? <laughs> exactly that's the, that's that's the decision making. every male comic would try out a suit at one point as well yeah. i'll be like i'm a suit comic now um <laughs> but yeah it's so tied into it for me when i did when i did my first gig actually i think that was one of the things i felt most anxious about not specifically my outfit but what people would think of me yeah because i've been funny previously in writing but you never have to you know, nobody sees you, nobody looks at you and your appearance. Yeah. Um, and I, I went into a bit of a kind of head spin about it because y- you have to suddenly think about how you're seen by the audience and like what the audience is going to think about you. And it made me feel so self-conscious because I'd spent years, I guess, trying to not care so much about what I look like or what other people think of me. And then suddenly I had to stand in front of people and make jokes, not necessarily about my uh, looks, which I don't, haven't done until recently um but I don't know just being aware what they'd think of me based off of what I look like sent me into a bit of a spin actually I'd say before my first gig that was the thing I was most thrown by and most anxious about yeah yeah you have a female-led night that you have in uh Bristol Bristol yeah yeah which has given what we've been talking about has the controversial hunk of the month (laughs) what's that all about that's true so there's um a place in Bristol called Sydney and Eden and they have um their home to Bristol comedy den so um my friends Bert and Greg run an amazing gig there they've been running it for a while and it's very successful Mm -hmm. and um me and my friend Eva in Bristol were like we want some of that and uh the venue wanted to run a female stand-up night so Mm -hmm. we um we were like, we'll, we'll run it. And it's female. So we decided to make it female led because I personally, I like comedy that has a 
mixture of people on the on the bill yeah and um yeah and so even though this is female-led so we have like maybe four acts on and the mc now we also make sure we always have a hunk of the month so we have a male act on <laughs> and i think i think it's really fun i think it probably wouldn't work in the reverse of genders um but it's it's really fun and the men who we've booked so far seem to love it i was like oh, i hope you don't mind i hope you don't feel like objectified and they're like no we love it <laughs> um, and the first gig Bert Williamson was our hunk of the month and he said he wanted to be brought on by like he didn't mind the antagonism of it so I was like okay and now we've got well we actually have a man on the bill and he's one of my dearest friends and I don't want to throw him under the bus but <laughs> and then we brought him on to booze which was very fun and then he came on with his, like, in there. Um, and it, I guess that's you know it's not because it's just to make fun of it really I love that there are like men on the bill as well yeah yeah we have a hunk of the month <laughs> it's funny booking them though I do feel into risky waters like messaging a friend that I like being like hey I love your act will you come and do our night yeah. um what I'm basically asking is like you will you be our hunk we want you to be our hunk <laughs> I love the again what we've talked about earlier saying oh well we need a woman on the bill I love the idea of really upset <laughs> it's not of you we just need a bloke <laughs> we need we just, a token yeah, guy yeah we just need a bloke <laughs> Just my candy. <laughs> Would you say that you've uh, learned any particular lessons or developed any philosophies that you take forward with you from show to show? I must do this or I must not do that. Hmm, I hope I have. What can I think of? Um, <laughs> one of the best pieces of advice I've had in comedy is to do jokes. That helps. Um, <laughs> That's I used a start. To yeah, it is a good start. <laughs> um, yeah, Laura Lex told me that we were going through one of my sets and... Um, for the whole like maybe the first 30 seconds I was on stage I was like hello like it's nice to meet you my name's Chelsea and I think that's a, that's a quite sweet thing to do but none of it's jokes and yeah. I don't think any of it builds confidence that this person's going to be funny and then what I did instead was realize yeah Laura said why don't you start with a joke and so I tried starting with a joke and it, it made people much more confident in me and my act so that's a good piece of advice uh, <laughs> and then the other thing is I think and this is something I'm still working on yeah. but a lot of the time I think my approach is if I'm having problems with my like act that I can write my way out of it, I'll just write better jokes or write different jokes or fix the joke. Hmm. Um, but people that know me have said to me, it's never about the jokes. Like I just do better when I'm in a good place and I I'm feeling good. Um, yeah. And I assume that the audience are going to like me, then I do better. Whereas if I'm in a place where I'm like, Oh no, they're not going to get it. They're not going to like me. Then I do worse. And it's never about the material. It's always about my mindset. So it's a work in progress. But I think I think they're probably right. I do better when I think there's every chance the audience will like this. Like they have, <laughs> it's worked a million times before. It will probably work this time. Yeah. Then I do better. Yeah. Whereas when you go into it, the mindset of like they're going to hate me, they're going to hate me. I'm sure you give off different vibes, and it makes it more likely that they will indeed hate you. Yeah, it's interesting because it's kind of like it's like going on stage nervous or going on stage and hiding the nerves I guess so there's always going to be yeah. something there but the, the audience can see straight away oh this person doesn't want to be here yeah so, yeah you can just tell can't you you yeah. can just tell and sometimes it makes it worse when people cover it up too much because yeah. then it just feels a bit a bit strange but then again it's like I don't really know how to solve it because I'm sure people would feel nervous if you were like hello everyone I'm nervous to be here today <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they'd think oh good a safe pair of hands it would be a novel approach. <laughs> It'd be interesting. We'll get a nervous laugh if nothing else. Okay, I'll try it. I'll let you know. 
So I mentioned early on that you've done some writing for Mock the Week, which is fascinating to me because um, obviously Mock the Week has a, a, a reputation, maybe less so recently, but it also is always used as the example of, you know, no women allowed kind of. Yeah. So it's interesting for me that then you have a young woman doing the writing on the show. How is it for you writing principally for that show, but have the writing process in itself? Um, I love writing. I think I feel more comfortable for a long time, maybe not now, but I feel more comfortable like writing than I do on stage. The like love of performing and being on stage came later. Right. Um, so it's a relief to me. If someone says like, can you write this? Uh, in fact, that's the easiest way for me to write. If somebody like commissions a bit, right. I wish people could do it for, for me. I wish someone was like, okay, we need you to write 10 minutes about this for Chelsea Berkeley. I feel like I do a better job than me just sat down being like, what shall I write for myself? Um, so the good thing about like writing for Mock the Week is you have the very specific set of things that you're going to talk about, like whatever's in yep. the news, and you know who you're writing for, so you can guess what they might think about it, what they might feel about it. Yeah. And then you have a really rapidly approaching deadline because it's you know it's got to be filmed and recorded close enough to the news happening. Um, that for me, that mixture of like pressure and limitations is very productive, and so I'll write. I'll just write loads and loads and loads and loads. Yeah. Um, I, and I love it. And I think definitely the approach with writing topical stuff is to just write as much as possible, like write as much as possible and then cull it because a lot of it will be terrible. And a lot of it will be people's first thoughts, like the exact same jokes people are going to make on Twitter. Right. Um, and that's not a bad thing, but I think you just need to get those out first. So then yeah. you can get to the less obvious ones that end up making the edit. Yeah. Um, ugh, it's really fun. I really like it. I feel like it's like comedy homework like to just get <laughs> I wish actually all of my comedy was comedy homework including my own like and then I would get more done I think whereas when I'm writing for myself then I try and then I have to think about oh well what do I feel about this yeah then I have to think about my feelings and then it's hours before I've written anything because I'm just trying to figure out what I <laughs> what I feel yeah um yeah usually if I'm writing about anything I think I end up reading about six books about the topic before I write something on it and I don't know if that's usual and I don't know if it's productive <laughs> I don't know how it happens. Do you watch the shows? Do you sit there and go, Dara Brain or say something? You go, that's mine. I wrote that. <laughs> I do. Uh, yeah, I do watch them back. Yeah. And it's, uh, yeah, it's fun. It's, yeah, I wondered if it wouldn't be fun. I wondered if I'd be jealous. I wonder if I'd be like, hey, that's my joke. Um, but instead, it's actually really nice. And there are jokes yeah. that I wouldn't write for myself, not because they're like offensive or anything, but jokes. I don't really do topical jokes, really. So it feels like giving something that I wouldn't have used anyway. Right. Oh, I love it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so tell me about, uh, we've, you've mentioned what your show is about. Where can we see it? When is it on? You can see it at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival from the 4th to the 28th at Just the Tonic, The Caves, Just the Spare Room at mm -hmm. 3.40 every day apart from the 15th when we have a break. Yeah. And can you finally, for me, sum up what to you is comedy in a nutshell? I think comedy is uh, make, making people laugh. Is that a good answer? Things that are funny. No, I'm just deferring the answer, aren't I? <laughs> it's a very good question it's a very good question this was homework Chelsea come on <laughs> you love homework oh yeah it was homework okay well I could, I could write you an essay on this definitely <laughs> I'll send one to you you can have it at the end of the week um I find what I find funniest is when things are just very very true very honest and especially if that's accidental like I love it when somebody is confused and you can just tell exactly exactly what they feel like and I think sometimes honesty can come even through like pretending somebody you know somebody pretending to be really confident and it just becomes very clear that they're, they're not they're confused they don't know what they're doing um yeah I love comedy when I feel like you can see the real person 
and it's very sweet and it's very pure um i love that yeah thank you for that i love that fantastic well thank you very very much for appearing on the episode with me today i've absolutely had a fantastic time i appreciate it i've had a lovely time thanks for having me thank you so much i'll see you at the fringe i will see you at the fringe you are on my list i'm on the schedule you're on the schedule yeah i'll see you later (laughs) 